0: Phil is a failed skydiver and a bear, sometimes he runs. Ben's always traveling, an occasional beach bum. Phil talks a lot, Ben not at all. It's BHP Town Hall. out
1: gets alcohol, BHP Town
0: Hall. Ben created Eye on Off,
2: he's a comic book fanatic. Phil made Pyro CMS, he's probably
0: in a kayak. Phil talks a lot, Ben not at all. It's PHP Town Hall. Random guests, alcohol,
2: PHP Town Hall. Uh, welcome to PHP Town Hall, episode 63. Um, we're bringing it back with our investment series. We got Jason McCrary coming back to us for uh, part two. Say hey, Jason. Yo, yo. And then, as always, joined by my best friend and
0: fellow short person, Ben Edmonds. Yo, I like how Jason did that little like pigeon head nod thing when
2: he, he has got the hair, kind of like uh was that Pokemon Pidgeotto or whatever?
0: <laughs> I definitely don't know the Pokemon.
1: I was <laughs> I was thinking like Flintstones, and at first I said Bam Bam, but it's it's actually probably more Pebbles, which it's is definitely Pebbles.
0: Yeah, that was cute, yeah.
1: man. I'll go. I'll go for it. And I don't care.
2: I like it. Hey, man, Pokemon are cool. Uh, So, you know, for a quick recap, for people who, uh, you know, it's been a few weeks, we've released a few episodes in between. Uh, You know, last time we were also joined by another friend of the pod, um, Anthony Fox, and we kind of discussed things um, pertinent to kind of everyday life, uh, not necessarily for developers, but um, definitely for people making a lot more money than they have in their life before. Things like budgeting, how to kind of battle um, lifestyle creep and things like that as your salary grows exponentially. We kind of touched on things like investing and um how to kind of make your money work for you going forward. So that way um as you get closer to like a retirement age, you don't have to worry so much about working every single day. You can kind of let your money do the work for you. Um but so now we want to bring Jason back and we want to talk um at a deeper level basically all different kinds of investing that you can get yourself into and um what it can kind of help you do both in the short term and the um the long-term goals that you may have for your life. Um, So I think, you know, like like we can start out, um, you know, what is the difference between something like investing and trading? You know, we always hear all these different terms. If you turn on like CNBC or any other kind of uh, business type podcast, news, NPR, things like that, they're always kind of throwing around words like trading, the stock exchange, investing. Um, For people who don't know, like how, how does that break down to like a kind of like a layman's breakdown of those uh, terms? For me, it
1: normally deals with time, Um, you know, something that I would do long term, meaning, I guess for me, and this is all relative, of course, but I mean, for me, long term is anything probably more than a year. I mean, I have a very short time horizon. So if I'm making an investment, I'm thinking things that are longer term, like a house or a bank CD um, or maybe like a particular company that I believe in for a very long period of time, like traditionally. you know way back you know what our parents probably called like blue chip stocks you know like big companies that aren't going to go anywhere and you believe in their growth you know nowadays things like um 3m or something along those nature you know something that pays potentially a dividend um these are things i just kind of own and i forget about them i don't really practice any kind of like you know watching and if they go up and down it doesn't bother me at all and so like you could do this with the long-term indexes too like we talked about um but trading getting back to the, the question, trading. Um, it's short term, you know, it's something might be on a week, a day, um, you know, but definitely under, under a year, it's something in, I've got like a short term time horizon on. So that's me. I mean, again, these, these probably aren't, um, you know, technical definitions, but when someone says they're investing in something, I, I typically, my mind goes in like a kind of a long-term mode. Like, don't worry about the daily, you know, um, oscillations and so forth.
0: So, uh- well, okay. I think a year is probably probably the line because you have like short term capital gains tax on long term, and, mm-hmm. and uh, that's usually the cutoff there, right? So um, at least in the U.S. So I think a year is probably a fair bet. Go ahead, Matt.
2: Yeah, I mean, a year sounds good, and you know, like the way Jason brought up investing, investments, things like houses, cars, things like that. Um, but Jason, you threw out a word I wanted to the kind of bring you back on, which is a uh, the dividends, because um, that's you know not a word that you usually hear thrown around, especially. In everyday settings. I was kind of curious if you could just kind of give us a little bit of a breakdown, what you mean by that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, dividends are basically a uh, percentage, um, kind of like a savings account pays you interest. Uh, a dividend normally yields a certain percent interest. And if you are an owner, have shares in that company, uh, an equity owner, then you will receive that dividend. Um, some dividends typically are a quarterly basis, but there are some like monthly, uh, stocks uh, that pay monthly dividends. Uh, there are some that pay annual there are some that have special dividends, uh, you know, that happen every now and then like when a company merges or acquires, you know, something, um, you'll get things like that. But typically, you know, you can, you can find dividend, uh, paying stocks that give you on a quarterly basis, um, you know, some kind of income, which is pretty cool. Uh, you know, so I'm a big believer in uh, having dividend paying stocks kind of as part of my portfolio. And they're typically, obviously, because I want to get that dividend, I need to own the underlying stock. I can't have like options or anything else. I actually have to have like an equity asset position uh, in that company to get the dividend. So um, those are typically the only thing in my portfolio anymore. Anything else I, I kind of do, my investment portfolio, like my stock portfolio, um, anything else is normally like an options trade
2: so when you're when you're looking to buy a stock for a trade what what do you look for what are what are signs that this could be a good trade in your favor
1: <laughs> yeah that's the that's the magic sauce, isn't it um i I will say that I've found that when I try to overthink or I try to look for that silver bullet. I'll end up losing money a lot quicker, (laughs) um, just because there kind of isn't one. Uh, and it's also not something that while it is like a, you know, like I mentioned, a a passion of mine and something I've been doing for a very long time, almost as long as programming, it's not something that I like, I've, I've completely dedicated as much time as I have to something like programming. So as such, you know, there's, there's probably like miles and miles farther for me to go in my like learning journey. Um, as far as investing goes. So, you know, I'm not a big like technical analyst, I don't go through and read um, every single line of like, a you know, a quarterly filing from a company. I just, I don't do a lot of the homework is the point uh, that that probably people that do this day in and day out would do. Uh, So what I do is I try to find a company that I can relate to, or like kind of on a human level. Um, It makes sense. And honestly, at the end of the day, those have been my best trades. So for some examples, um, you know, I picked up Apple when the iPhone came out, I just thought it was a huge revolutionary product and I'm in tech. So it makes sense. You know, when Amazon started getting into like AWS and now shipping and like all these things, it's just like, man, they are doing everything. So, you know, I've been in and out of Amazon over the years. Um, Now they're, you know, their stock is so high of a, of a share price that I normally use options. Um, just because, you know, at 1800 bucks a share, like that's, that's a lot to shell out. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I try to find things. I mean, even things that aren't tech related, um, you know, maybe, uh, your cell phone is through AT&T or Verizon, they pay dividends. So like maybe I'll own them. Right. I'm effectively like putting that monthly money that I pay them for my cell phone bill back in my pocket. And even if it's a wash, like There's just fun little ways to kind of, again, game the system without trying to get like, again, that secret sauce or that like inside info or whatever.
0: Cool. Awesome. See you. go ahead, man. Yeah. That's like personally too. like, um, I treat investing and trading as like very different disciplines. So I try not to try not to overanalyze my investments because it's really easy to, if you're used to like trading, right? So you can get like super kind of blind or, you know, blindfolded or whatever, Blinders on is the phrase I was looking for. <laughs> so uh with with investing I, I like to keep super simple and like index funds or like Jason's saying, just like a company I wouldn't mind owning forever. You know, like I own some Ford or you know, whatever, just a company I feel is a long term, you know, I'm not gonna have to look at it for a couple of years and still feel good about the decision.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. What uh what what platforms are you guys trading on? Like what do you have an app or A company that you, you go through or you kind of play different apps against each other.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm on a few. I've probably tried them all over the years. I am mostly trading through TD Ameritrade currently just because I've been with them the longest. Um, so I've kind of been able to negotiate relatively low commissions. Um, but they still aren't commission free. Uh, and so as such, lately I've been as, um, Robinhood's platform has been getting better, for example, they've they've opened it up to options trading about gosh it's probably been a year now but the, at first the platform was, was pretty terrible um you couldn't do any advanced options trades like you could do real simple stuff like buy this but you couldn't really set up strategies and it was kind of hard to track um but I, i'm trying to use them more because i do like that you know commission free i totally believe that's the future like you know i think these brokers are going to start changing it up in the next couple of years where it's going to be Free commissions, but maybe you're paying for their services as far as like, um, you know, having their analysis and their tools and their trade tracking systems. Um, Because that's what you should be paying for, in my opinion. I mean, as developers, we're kind of used to that. We pay for a service, right? Software as a service. I don't want to, I'm not going to pay you, you know, 5% out of nowhere. I mean, I think the only thing we accept that for is like credit card processing fees, you know, but even that's totally sucks. And, you know, you're seeing people move to the best and lowest, you know, in development, like Stripe. You know, or um, uh, Square or other other options. You know that just make the that experience very seamless.
0: Yeah, so I've, I've been loving Robinhood. Like any stocks or options, I do is through there now. Which, um, uh, so people might have heard about them and be a little scared off because there's a recent drama thing where it. Um, so, like, you don't get it for free because it's free, right? Like there's always a catch somewhere, um, and the the catch with Robinhood, you know, catch. Is that? Uh, I mean, the main way they generate money, as far as we can tell, is that they sh- they sell the flows to like hedge funds and HFT firms. So those firms can get first look at basically what you're doing as a, a retail trader. Um, for the most part, that's not going to affect you if you're not super short term, right? So if your if your time frame above you know a few hours, that probably was doesn't matter at all to you. You know, it's not gonna matter if you get a you know a couple extra ticks out of the trade at that time frame. So um yeah, you know, I don't think that's really something to be worried about.
1: Don't they also um just just from my own knowledge, I thought they also uh, whatever like money you have on the sideline, so to speak, like money that's not invested, don't they accrue the interest on that instead of you? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Which that's more the yeah. traditional <laughs> first thing, right? Like, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. And I
2: think, I mean if you if you cash out too I think they hold your money in escrow for like three to five days. They say it's for like fraud to make sure you're not just laundering money through their platform. But I'm pretty sure that they're just holding that money in some sort of high interest yield account just to kind of flip even just a little bit of money off of your dealings, which, I
0: mean, it's not the worst thing in the world. But, you know, if you need your money today, I I actually kind of see that as like an advantage, right? Like, um, I think it's really good for people that have investment accounts to put them in some place where it takes them a few days to get out, especially if you're kind of early on this journey of saving and investing. Because yeah. you don't want to, you don't want to encourage yourself to pull that money out when you need some kind of faster money. And that should be a different budget yeah. in my opinion.
1: Yeah. That's, but, that's all, that's a real important point, you know, just to kind of take on a tangent, but, but to be able to make the point is just that, you know, this money that you're investing, like, you really need to make sure that you are absolutely comfortable. Like literally, if that money goes completely away, like that's the way you should treat, in my opinion, any investment. Now, obviously that's not the scenario you want to see play out, but I have been maybe not personally in the situation, but I've definitely maybe helped other people invest or even just family members, uh, you know, which also adds its own element of, of being difficult. But at the same time, like, you don't want to invest more than kind of you're willing to make up or, or have be potentially a short term loss. Like, you know, so, I mean, I I always really, again, I, you know, we talked about that pyramid before, but like, I really just try to treat, like, make sure I have a solid foundation Then I'm willing to kind of move up and do something, some other type of investment. That's, that's maybe, you know, less risky, but as I move higher up that pyramid, I've got all these layers of kind of financial support underneath that, You know, as I go higher up, I'm allowed to be more risky because you know what? It's a smaller amount of money. You know, we're moving up the pyramid. So it's a smaller block of finances. And again, if that goes away, then great. If I'm building my base, then I can continue putting more money up at each level and kind of growing that pyramid horizontally, if you will. But that vertical stack gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And I consider, you know, stock investments definitely third or fourth tier up that. And then options, you know, fifth tier and just keep going on up with different things.
0: Yeah, let's jump into that. What is your what is your kind of pyramid for that look like, Jason? Just a high level. Don't try to get into nitty-gritty. Sure. What is your base? What's kind of your middle, and then what are the top two? High level, yeah. High level
1: is definitely um, savings. So I have a, you know, I I really am a huge believer in savings. So that's that's my base. I I have a, I try to have a really large savings account. You know, whole Dave Ramsey thing, like we talked about last time. And then above that, I, I guess technically would have real estate. I don't really think about that, but I mean, I do have a house that I pay a mortgage on and therefore I have some, some investment there, you know, I'm not renting anymore. So I would consider that part of the base. Some people go really far with that investing. So I don't want to confuse that with real estate investing outside of your residence or outside of your home, so to speak, because some people have rental properties. Um, so that's different. Uh, so I, That's next. And then my stock investments, like I said, are about third tier. Uh, Fourth tier, I would consider the options portion of that. You know, fifth tier might even be like cryptocurrency, um, things of that nature. Uh, And then, you know, I'm looking into getting into probably like rental. So that's, that would be like my sixth tier, And then seventh might be like entrepreneurial type stuff. Like maybe I'm going to invest in like a business someday. That's just me. I mean, I think after you get to three or four tiers, it starts to become a little bit subjective of what you consider to be good investment or not. Some people might consider their four, their first year
0: probably put real estate a little further down. than Yeah. uh, Yeah.
1: My girlfriend's that way too. She, she, (laughs) she kind of grew up more, her dad's like a real estate attorney. So she grew up more with like real estate in her mind. And like I said, without my whole backstory with the bank and lawnmower and my grandpa, like I grew up more with like business owning and stocks. So that's why I'm more comfortable with that. But yeah, you can swap them out.
2: Cool. Yeah. Um. I don't know if you really want to talk about crypto, but I do want to uh, dive into like the options stuff that you're doing. so what I know
0: this week. Hell yeah. Anyway, do what this past week's been nice in crypto land. Yeah. Yeah. A right. bump, huh?
2: Yeah. A little bump after How long though? <laughs> don't talk about the bad days, Matt. Oh, I know how to talk about going to the moon. Yeah, Dead money. So is NASA apparently, but who knows? Um. But So, you know, like if, if there's time, the you end, know, we can kind of talk about crypto and it's plus and minuses, but, you know, we, we kind of dived into options there for a second. So I know that's kind of a term popping up a lot more across um, the investing worlds. And now that, you know, it's on Robinhood for, you know, quote unquote free, it's, it's easier uh, to be um, accessed by people. So I'm kind of curious, like, what are options and what, what do you do with them?
1: <laughs> Trade them um options are definitely a different beast um i'll just kind of mention them in a high level and then maybe their appeal uh so at a high level um it's not just owning a stock that's pretty easy right you're kind of just making a choice to say look it's a very like one direction choice you're saying i'm gonna own apple today and i believe they're going up and there are ways to trade stocks and say, I believe it's going down. You can short a stock as well. But the point is you basically are owning an underlying um, asset and you kind of have everything else is at your discretion, meaning time. So options are a little bit different. They add a couple extra factors. You would now have to say things like, okay, I'm willing to own this stock um, at this certain share price within this certain time frame. Oh, and it has to be this direction. So those three elements basically create um, a lot more risk <laughs> because even if you get some of those right, like even if you get two out of three of those right, like it did go up and it did hit that certain strike price, maybe it didn't do it in the time frame you needed it to, or maybe it did it like on the very last day. Um, so it's just very, very uh, difficult. <laughs> and there's a lot more elements to control, a lot more variables. Uh, if you will, kind of measure and and get right. And because of that, even when you are right, you can end up being wrong. (laughs) So the way they work is you don't really own the underlying stock. Like the stock is actually, you actually have like a document somewhere that says I own these shares. But like with options, you're really just owning the right to some shares. You don't actually have them. It's kind of like an insurance premium. Like you pay a little money, you kind of have the right to be covered under this, you know, quote unquote, insurance plan, you know, if some if these other like conditions are met, right? So, the nutshell.
0: <laughs> yeah, the the real advantages there, right, are kind of leverage, and then also just the the risk reward can be greatly skewed in your favor if you uh, do it well.
1: Yeah, that's that's absolutely the appeal. Like the appeal is, um, like you said, the leverage. So normally, a options contract is worth. A hundred shares of like the underlying stock. So you basically have a hundred to one leverage on the stock. So because of that, for a smaller dollar amount, you can actually theoretically leverage more shares of the company than you could have owning outright. So earlier I talked about Amazon being an $1,800 a share per share, you know, but I could buy some options for maybe, you know, 200 bucks and I'm leveraging 200 shares. So, I mean, that's kind of amazing. Now, those would, again, probably have a low probability of success based on those, you know, generic numbers. But the point is, is that you can do more with your money potentially when you do get it right. So a lot of times options trades require you to maybe put several of them on and use a lot of different strategies um, with the expectation that maybe only one of those will pay off. But the point is, it would be such an outsized winner that it kind of makes up for your losses in a way.
0: Yeah. And so I, I do a lot of futures trades. Um... And Futures is also very leveraged, but the problem with Futures is it can go against you uh, almost out in film, right? So, like, you can have $5,000 in your account, and then you can end up owing your brokerage $5,000 once your margin called um, because of the leverage involved. But options are a little nicer in that regard because they, at least for the generic, you know, buying a call, right? put, you have a very well-defined risk on the table with those
1: yeah there's there's a lot of advanced stuff there. I mean I, you know I don't think it's I don't think it's worth getting into. I, th- I think the main appeal again is the leverage and the fact that you you know to Ben's point, you can kind of define your risk, and it's it's normally a lot less capital than you would to n- need to buy the stock or the same number of shares in that company like it absolutely is less. Um, and you know if you get your direction right and you have a long enough time frame, you know it's going to play out kind of all the same. So in the beginning. You know, you end up buying like kind of these lotto ticket options, which is just a bad move. The thing to do is is to treat options really the same as you would when you choose a stock to invest in and just try to give yourself like a really good amount of time. Um, you know, and I've found that those end up paying off, you know, a lot better, you know, kind of anecdotally. Um, but again, it, it, there's a lot of variables. <laughs> it's, you, you can quickly, quickly lose. Um, everything
0: <laughs> uh so for you jason like why why trading instead of real estate or uh something else what what pulled you in there
1: i think it's just uh, yeah i think it's just that personal choice uh, maybe also just like um background it maybe deals with background like for some reason Owning bits of a company and and investing um, in the financial markets, you know, like I said, early on at the bank, you know, with my grandfather, you know, helping me open a savings account and eventually saying, here's a CD and here's how interest works. And, you know, that got me into dividends. And then there's a very, um, you can draw a line kind of through that path. And we just never, as a family, I, I guess, not to say that no one in the family did, but no one like immediately, like my parents didn't like, have rental properties, right? Like it just wasn't. We kind of always owned our homes, so like that just wasn't an area that um, I became familiar with until kind of more recently. And now I'm opening up to it, uh, but it's because of that I, I just didn't have a much background in it. So again, I think it was just it was just kind of experience that led me there, and not so much um, that I don't believe in it per se.
2: So I mean, if you're gonna go back, Jason, and like change anything. Like, let's say 10, like, if you, if you have what you have now, if you, the knowledge you have now, but take it 10 years back, what would you do differently? Would you jump into options sooner or leverage a different market or something like that? Like, what, what would you do?
1: Wow. 10 years ago. So it's not necessarily like, I know what I know now and like buy a hundred million shares of Amazon. Like, <laughs> it's more yeah, just okay. like, it's more like, um, maybe if I had these concepts down not necessarily specific. Yeah, sure. I I know what you're saying. Okay.
2: Like You're Um, not going to get the white paper to Bitcoin five years early and just run rampant.
1: But if I knew what I knew today, yeah. um, I think that I would probably try to allow things to play out a little bit longer. I think it's just like anything else. When you first get into something, I mean, even when you first get into coding, you're very hungry, you know, and you, you're trying to find all these ways to do it. And you, you know, you always use the new shiny, whatever the latest JavaScript, you know, thing is or whatever, like whatever latest CSS framework is, or you deploy it on whatever the new cloud service is. And I think in retrospect, you know, if you just gave things a little bit more time to play out that, you know, maybe you didn't need all those things. Maybe you, you would kind of see, oh gosh, like I kind of prematurely like, you know, set all that up or. You know, over-engineered in the beginning um it's the same thing with financial investing i think like there's so many times when you have like a loss you know you're kind of just like oh man I, I can't take the pain and you sell or vice versa you're like oh it'll bounce back and it never does and you don't know how to make the hard sell right and so it goes both ways and same if you do have a good gain you're kind of like oh man i've already you know doubled my money i better sell everything but you know, what if you incrementally sold, right? Like sold a little bit and then let it double again and then sell a little bit more or whatever, right? Or take your investment off the table and now you're just kind of playing with the house's money. So I think not having those knee jerk reactions, giving it time is something that I do more now. But maybe five or 10 years ago, I didn't. And I was quick to sell a winner or I was, you know, late to sell a loser or whatever. I let something go all the way to zero when maybe I should have been like, hmm okay, that thing had its time, I'm going to sell it.
0: Yeah, I think, um, like, to your point there, the thing I would do, is I could talk about yourself, wouldn't even just be investing-related, but would be everything, right? It would just be compounding, like, invest your time and resources and things that compound, you know, with programming, invest in concepts more than the newest framework or tool, right? And the same thing for investing, you know, invest your time into, you know, longer-term items, things that'll compound well, you know, strategies that have been around a while that aren't the newest, latest, and greatest, whatever, you know. Like, people, people do well with very boring strategies most of the time, and uh, it can be hard to accept that at first because, you know, it doesn't work the first week. You kind of want to move on to the next thing.
1: I would say another thing, too, maybe getting into, you know, slightly more specific examples. Um, you know, now timing... I definitely believe more in index, like the indexes, like now that I've kind of watched them play out over 10 years. Now I'm not saying they're like a surefire bet by any means. Nothing is. So again, you, you can easily lose all of your money. So just kind of the quick disclaimer. But the point is, is that, um, I'm definitely in a place now where I have more cash, you know, kind of on the sidelines, even in my investment accounts and I'm waiting for more things like, you know, maybe December where we had like this really very sharp downturn and you're going to use that as an opportunity to, to deploy some of that capital, you know, into things, not be afraid to buy things, you know, during pullbacks, you know, cause I think it's, it's always going to be hard to choose stuff. But I think not only having the, you know, index funds, um, kind of being that thing that kind of wins overall over a long period of time, but also the fact of knowing it that I bought it kind of in a short term range bottom. You're really setting yourself up, I think, in those scenarios. If you can hold your nose and make that buy, make that purchase, like you're really setting yourself up to be at a better advantage. I mean, you know, if you would have bought in 2009, like an index fund, like, you know, it would have done a lot better than if you had bought in 2001 and then you tried to sell in 2008. So again, timing is everything. And I know that's easy to say. Um, But I think if you can do that strategy, that's interesting.
0: And that works with like real estate too, right? Like, um... You know, I, I own a property here in Alabama, which I rented out for a while. Now I'm living back in, right? But like, I uh, I remember when I moved away, it was near around the crash, and the values around here and what they were, you know. And now I come back and I see the values, and it's just like, wow, you know, why didn't I, why didn't I lever up to buy more property when everything was so cheap? But uh, you, you just you do that. You just have to hold your nose and trust history, and you know, go for it
1: yeah i mean what what's that thing like you know when there's blood in the streets buy by real estate or whatever you know the I don't know if that's Godfather or something, but the whole point is yeah i mean when there's when there's opportunity even kind of a negative opportunity like you know you, you need to be willing to kind of take that chance um and again increment you know don't don't necessarily like just you know mortgage the house and put everything in like that's not that's not what we're saying, but we're just saying that's like a chance i think to start putting a little capital to work, and that's why I like to try to leave a little more available to do that now, just like you would leave a savings account or a checking account balance to, to be able to use towards an upcoming purchase, you know?
2: <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's all awesome information so far. Um, you know, one thing that's been in the news lately too, that i wanted to bring up is this concept of fire. And I was curious if you, Jason, I know Ben, we've talked about it a good bit. Jason, I was curious if you, if you've heard about it or um, if you're, if you're trying to go down that path or anything like that,
1: No, what is what is this fire one?
2: Uh, So fire. Well, it's it's two different concepts. It's 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 breaking down to um, financial independence and retire early. So the acronym cool. Yeah, I guess yeah, an acronym. I never, I can never remember that word. It's one I never use all that often. But um, so you know, the concept was popularized by a guy who runs a blog called uh, Mr. Money Mustache, and basically just like here's the math. If you want to retire early, you save X amount per year, and you can fast forward to retirement by X amount of years based on your savings percentage. And you know, if you save 100% of your income and put it all in investments, things like index funds and things like that, you can retire. And I think it was something as cheap as three years. Well, that's not feasible. So you scale it back down, but you can still ramp up really fast in early retirement. Um, and so a lot of people use investments and things like that to um, make it happen a lot faster. So you know, I know you're very leveraged in the market. I was curious if that's kind of like your end goal is to kind of retire early and do whatever you want to do or um, are you just trying to have some fun and create extra income that way
1: yeah i think that just going back for a second is that like a site where you can plug some numbers in or anything or were you just saying that's the principle of like
2: i uh we can show we can throw it in the show notes of the uh the article he has um you know yeah. Shocking, I mean, yeah. not shocking. So of firecalc.com, if you want to check it that out. Yeah. That's kind of one of the
0: popular sites. Go ahead, Matt.
2: Well, I was going to say, you know, uh, FireCalc is one, you know, a lot of the uh, early fire type people were all software developers making uh, massive salaries and living extremely um, uh, low income lives, very beneath their means. Um, and they've all kind of used their skills to build calculators, websites, blogs, and that kind of thing. Um, Fire Calc is definitely one. Uh, The Mad Scientist has uh, built a bunch of different ones. They're all for free. You can check them out. Um,
0: Yeah, so I I do want to throw out to people, so like the back of the Napkin Calc here is, it actually was pretty mind-blowing for me um, when I first heard it, right? And it was just like, no, it's not possible. But if you research it, you know, there's actual data and papers to back it up. So the back of the Napkin Calc is really just 25 times your annual spend is what you need. And that's for you to live indefinitely with that spin, with a very, a fairly small uh, percentage chance of that failing.
1: That's cool. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. I mean, I think, I think for me, investing is um, it's probably to facilitate lifestyle. I I don't want to say to facilitate retirement because I mean, at the moment, I'm I'm fortunate enough to kind of be doing what I want to do. You know, I went full time back in October with kind of my my side projects and and made them full-time projects that I work Mm -hmm. on every day. Um, you know, things like shift and finish the book and I'm doing some workshops and just little things to bring in revenue, but shift is kind of the main focus. Um, so, I mean, I guess the point of that is that I don't see myself like retiring in kind of the traditional sense. Like there's always going to be something I do like, yeah, maybe I step away from programming, but Maybe I start doing woodworking or something, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, maybe I'll start a chainsawing business. I, I don't know. Like it's just, it's funny, but I mean, it's true. Like I, I,
0: I love to Like,
2: No, I, I think that's hilarious. And I mean, I was going to throw out there, um, you know, you might take a break from programming, but you can always come down here for pig roasts and hot chicken at wage yeah, acres. Uh, exactly. I could a,
1: be like a tour guide at, yeah. at the farm.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, because I mean, going back to the lifestyle thing for a second, like I mean it that I want to be able to facilitate like travel and and kind of doing what I want at a younger age. I, I just think the model that we have, you know in general is, is just kind of shitty, <laughs> like you know this whole thing where like you work until you're sixty five and then when you can barely get around, you're supposed to like go enjoy the world, and it's I just don't think that works out so well for most people and i think that's unfortunate you know because when you start to have all this time again on your hands like after kids or job or whatever it is um you know when you quote unquote retire like maybe you're not able to do the things that you could or were interested in doing you know when you were 30 or whatever and so i just want to make sure to be able to kind of do those now um even if that means i'm missing out on maybe high paying salary if i if i stayed in the career or whatever like that's okay with me. That, that's an, that's an okay trade-off. Um, that's not to say I want to blow all my money, which is why I do the investment um, to kind of keep myself stable. Um, and I'm interested in those calculators and whatnot, but it's just a lifestyle choice. I think for me, um, it's not necessarily aimed at retirement or like being, you know, a billionaire or something crazy. It's, it's really just to facilitate the lifestyle that I want.
2: Well, I mean, that, that's what the first part of the acronym is, is financial independence kind of being able to do what you want to do on your terms. You you say you want to do like woodworking, traveling, things like that. If you have the money available and it doesn't hurt your career in terms of like what you're doing now, which is side projects. Well, side projects turn full-time projects and clinics and things like that. You can travel and do whatever you want to. It's it's more or less the, the shift of moving from paycheck to paycheck to you know, being able to take three months off and going to Japan, India, or wherever, not having to worry about how am I going to pay the bills when I get back? That kind of thing. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's cool. Like it's, it's interesting to talk about. Cause you know, like a lot of people here and they're like, Oh, you know, I don't think I could ever do it. And you, you look at the math and you're like, well, the math actually isn't all that far out of reach, especially if you're already so leveraged in the market investments and things like that. And there's, you know, like with, with programming, you know, some people will choose to go like a real estate um, uh, type path. Other people will leverage options the entire way. Some people just leverage dumping money in an index fund and going um, going that way. You know, there is no one true way. Just like you can pick Vue, React, or Laravel, Symphony, or anything like that. You know, it's, it's multifaceted. You don't have to follow one path to
0: get down there. Yeah, there's a lot of like fire in general. People are really big into like index funds, you know, for a reason. But people do follow a lot of paths towards financial independence, right? Like a, a whole lot of people use real estate for that.
2: Yeah, real estate is one good way. You know, I, mean, I'm, I don't know what's going on with my dog. I don't know. Um, someone, we had like a string of break ins in my apartment. So, like, someone's like someone in your that. building or actually your apartment or both? Uh, someone tried to break into like another one of our buildings and then. Last week or something like that, I walked out and like three different people had their car windows smashed up. I was like, oh, oh that's awesome. Fortunately, like my car didn't lock at night. And so they just like opened my door and rifled through my stuff and they saw like an old iPod. And I was like, okay, cool, whatever. But you know, I don't have to deal with a broken window or anything. I was like, cool, whatever. Um, okay. but yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's, it's a topic that I've been like really passionate about and diving into. Um, you know, as I, I flew up to Midwest PHP to speak, and I, I bought a, a, a fire book uh, called Playing with Fire, and basically by the time I landed in Nashville, I had the book done. I was just so engrossed. And if I wasn't hanging out with Jason McCurry after after our talks and eating Shake Shack and um, eating cookie dough and things like that, you know, I was like in the hotel room reading this book. You know, it's just, it's, it's a topic that I
0: really dived into. So I really love finding other people to talk to about it. So what are, um, what are some of your personal Goals with that, Matt? Do you have any like plans laid out for timelines you're looking for things to accomplish?
2: You know, I mean, I still need to like work out a little bit of the math, but I'm I'm really hoping that so I turned 32 at the end of this month, and it sounds really weird to say fucking old. I know. I I don't know how I'm going to handle it. Um, but so I turned 32 at the end of the month. Um, I'd really like to be done with work by like my early 40s, like 42. I just want to be like I'm out. I'm done. And that doesn't necessarily mean like I want to be done with programming. I just want to be done waking up at like seven o'clock in the morning to go to work at nine to be done at five and be home by five thirty. Um, for whatever reason, I've been like really obsessed with mountain climbing, and I really want to go see uh, Mount Everest. I have no interest in climbing Mount Everest because I can die, and that's not my preferred way of dying. Um, but I love I've always, to, like I've always wanted to
1: go uh, into like going just the base camp would be like a feat enough. for Yeah. Me. Like, that could be I cool. Mean, I mean, that's a pretty well, big trek regardless. Like, just go into the basement. Yeah. I mean,
0: that that would not be the worst way to die, though, right? Because if you like freeze near the top, you get to just stay there. as, like a monument to how much you suck. Damn. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Trask would just be like a, barely a,
1: a mound of snow, though.
2: Hey, man. With my backpack on. You know, <laughs> Who brought a kid up? Oh. <laughs> oh, shit. It's a <laughs> dude. Yeah, that sounds about right for me. No, I mean, yeah, traveling just to base camp would be cool. It's like a, a four day, five day trek from uh, a little a little town called Lukla, um,
0: which That's has like the world. Do what? So I know nothing about Everest. Is that you had to trek on foot to base camp?
2: Yeah, um, I mean, you could take a helicopter in there, but like it defeats the whole purpose of like walking through the Himalayas all all the way up to like the monasteries and all of this kind of stuff. Um,
1: yeah, it's to... like it's like a two day trek. Like if you yeah. do it, kind of like you know the original uh, you know um what is it like explorers did or whatever mallory and those guys
2: yeah and then i mean like base game itself that's at seventeen thousand feet which is not a and that's a pretty high altitude just to be walking around it it's like higher
1: than anything in north america so like that's yeah that's big time for us
2: so i mean you're pretty much up there so it'd be it'd be cool if i could i mean i'm going to i'm going to make it happen um but I'm also like getting big into photography and cycling. So I'd love to be able to just take a year off or, you know, yeah, take a year and just travel from like different city. Like I want to go to Kyoto in the winter. I want to go see um, like Oktoberfest and little German towns at Christmas. um, All the way over like the rainforest in Brazil, all these things that, you know, like you see pictures of, but you don't get to see in person. Um, Just take my camera and travel and have fun. You know, I mean, that's my main goals. I just, you know, I don't want to miss out on cool things because I'm tied to a desk, you know, 50, 50, weeks of the year, five days
0: a week, that kind of thing. That's a good call. I like it. Could be something too, right? Where maybe you, know, you don't have all the money in the bank, maybe you freelance. A couple That's one great thing about tech, right? So there's so many options yeah. for still working and doing stuff like that. You know, so like you can still freelance a couple days a week and pay your bills and, you know, yeah. there's options to make that happen either way.
1: Yeah. If I were a little younger, like I would totally look into maybe doing more of like the, you know, like remote remote or whatever they call that. where like, you're just, you're like traveling and and you're doing remote work from wherever. Yeah. Like nomad kind of thing. Like that'd be cool. I mean, I'm, I'm too old for that now and have obligations to like mowing the grass and stuff, but, um, yeah, it would have, it sounded cool.
2: Yeah. All those things, all those things sound cool. You know I mean? Like, honestly, I don't know if I'd want to freelance coding per se, but I definitely want to keep up like open source contributions that I do um, mentoring and things like that. You know, but like you can also create other avenues for money too. with like freelance photography or um, stuff like that. You know, I'm definitely not, I'm not going to race bikes anytime soon. I'm not going to make money that way, but yeah, you know, I mean, there's, there's definitely ways to keep generating money while you're on this path. But the idea is, is that your investments are making enough money for you that, you can safely withdraw X amount to cover your expenses for a year and not ever run out of money. That's the whole idea behind uh, financial independence and that movement. I
1: think um, that's I think that's like the lure, and in, in by no means am I like here yet or anything like that. But I'm just saying that talking about compounding earlier, that's the lure for me. Like if if you reached a point of wealth, and, and these are big numbers, okay, I'll admit. But like, if you, let's just say reached a million that you could invest in something and you got a eight or 10% return, which is a good return. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it's not undoable in your indexes or even dividend, a portfolio of, you know, dividend paying stocks. It's achievable. Okay. That's a real thing. Um, you're, you're pulling in 10% of a million. So you're pulling in $100,000 a year on that investment yeah. alone. That's no growth. That's nothing. That's like just strictly, you know, the interest basically that you would get if you had like a dividend portfolio, for example. So that's the lure for me. And again, I'm, I'm not there or anything, but someday, you know, if I were there, you know, that's where things get interesting. And obviously that's where like wealth, gets wealth kind of thing. So it's just, those are kind of the amazing numbers.
0: Yeah. I
2: mean, it, it's, you know, like, like you said, you know, if, if you just threw a million dollars into like a, a total stock, uh, stock exchange, index fund makes ten percent back, you have a hundred thousand dollars. You could I mean if you get your expenses relatively low enough, you could easily invest twenty five thousand of that back somewhere else too, into options or real estate or something like that and create a whole nother income stream just to keep supporting yourself while you're out, you know, mountaineering to Everest or, you know, creating a woodworking shop, anything like that. Um
1: start collecting exotic bicycles.
2: Yeah, I don't even know what an exotic bicycle would be, but, you know, I mean, if if they make them uh, for short people, I would totally buy them, you know?
1: Unicycles, tricycles.
2: Yeah, I saw a dude. Uh, I was downtown. I was giving a bike tour uh, this weekend in downtown Nashville. dude rolling around on a unicycle, like, through traffic and everything. I kind of thought he was going to die, but it turns out he lives, you know? It's a miracle how those things happen. Um, yeah, so speaking of side projects and kind of creating... Truesome Money, Jason. You kind of teased a little earlier, or a couple weeks ago or so on Twitter about a new platform you're creating. Is there any? uh, You want to kind of dive into that a little bit now? Kind of tease it out for people, or?
1: Sure. There was a point in time in the beginning of the year where I wanted to. Well, at the time, I thought I had time to uh, make a side project that was maybe completely unrelated to um, programming, specifically like Laravel or whatever my other stuff is and uh dealt more kind of marrying up the the two passions of mine so investing and i wanted to build like an options portfolio tracker and i picked up optionality.app and at first i kind of just started blogging there and the whole goal was to kind of build an audience and then i kind of turned those into some live streams where i shared you know building a product in general um and i think some people got value out of that but unfortunately i didn't really build the audience i had some milestones that i set for myself like certain number of followers and a certain number of like daily traffic on those blog posts. And, um, just didn't generate the amount of interest that I, that I wanted. Um, and so because of that, I've kind of left that on the back burner. I'm still writing those blog posts. I'm still sharing them. I still operate that Twitter account, but, um, and it has led to some things which may pan out, but I haven't really started writing code for it yet. Um, quite intentionally by just kind of letting it. Letting it wait, but there doesn't seem to be anything in this market, um, so I'm I'm still interested in it. But um,
0: it might so just what be like um, what was the idea with that? Is it like um, you input what your current portfolio is and it tracks over time? Or
1: yeah, it was going to be a little more specific to like because um, like your broker does a good job with stocks, like their performance tracking over time. But like options, especially like complex option strategies, where maybe you're rolling positions month over month or you're writing covered positions and then like you need to determine your cost basis for those. And I'm sure these strategies are similar within futures or cryptocurrency or anything where you're kind of rapidly trading around a position across multiple trades. Tracking that line and tracking your like total cost basis and things like that are actually not something those brokers really do beyond tax purposes. They don't really analyze that or group it in kind of a mint.com kind of way. So um, it was one of those things where like um, I think that I thought that there was a space for it. And, and again, a lot of the communities that I'm in, the investment communities that I'm in are like use Excel spreadsheets and other stuff. So there's definitely not like a single app for this. Um, That's people the problem that I've
0: d- found in kind of the financial world. Cause I've had a couple of apps that are like, Oh yeah, this would be great. This is of I would use and I build it and I try to get other people interested. And it's like, Pretty much everyone's like, oh, but I already have the spreadsheet that does that. Or you know, I don't, it's different than other kind of markets I've been in trying to make apps for because everyone is rather proficient with Excel, and Excel is an amazing programming tool if you're efficient in it. You know?
1: sure, yeah, I I totally agree. You know, it's always interesting different markets and like their application of tech and how maybe they apply tech. It's definitely not a, if you build it, they'll come scenario. Um, and it really kind of never is, which is something I ended up talking about in those, in those kind of live streams that I, I think people got more benefit out of was like, how would I go about building a product? Um, not even necessarily the product itself. So that's kind of why I just let it sit uh, for a bit. But I don't know. Like I said, I may revisit it. I, I made it kind of a personal uh, prototype for myself it's super ugly it's like just html there's no styles to it and it kind of takes a little hacking at the database to make it do certain things but um i mean i've got something i just haven't haven't really put it on the site yet because you know yeah. it, takes, it takes that last 10 percent to get the mvp is is going to take me a few weeks and
2: mm-hmm.
1: i'd rather spend that time on shift or doing these workshops or whatever so
0: so I'm interested in this whole process, right? Like not just with optionality, but you've done other apps like Shift and things that have launched. Um at first I seem to get like I'll get excited about a thing, I'll build a thing. Sometimes I'll even build it fully out to like a V1 works great. I'll launch it. But then um you never know, seems to get much momentum, or maybe it gets a little bit of momentum and then it trails off pretty quickly. Um so how do you how do you navigate that? How are you? You know, judging product market fit or how are you marketing it continually things like that like how did you get so much run on with shift for example
1: yeah um i think i got a little bit lucky with shift you know and i i think that that's the answer right there to be honest i don't think people are willing to admit that but i, I do think it's often like a right place right time right product kind of thing and it's not even like the perfect product or a better product it's just those, those three kind of combinations of things that I'm kind of bundling humbly under lucky is is kind of what it was. But um, I was at PHP world uh, Taylor Otwell was there. They had a hackathon. We were like hacking on some stuff. So it kind of got on his radar um, early on. And I put out just an MVP, like very quickly um, within like two weeks of that conference. I built like the checkout flow and everything. And it was just the latest version only. And I made it like super dead cheap but i still made it paid i did not make it free um just to kind of set the precedent that like look these are going to be paid um you know so because you make it free and then you and then you suddenly don't make it free like some of these apps in the app store do it's all of a sudden like you just your user rate crashes
0: so and then people felt kind of like you stole that from them in some way, right? Cause you got, maybe this, yeah, like, you took it away in your mind. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You took something away in that. So I, I do think there's delicate things like that in products that you learn over time, or you can read from, you know, other people's experiences or, or get feedback from your friends on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I kind of grew it from there and I think it was a testament, if anything, probably to the MVP approach that I did with it. And I'm still doing that. Like, I'll put a I'll put a shift out there now and it's a couple bucks and it's maybe only 30% of what I want it to be. And I have the price reflect that. But I create benchmarks around it and say, look, is this a fit? What are people asking for? What are they complaining about? And some people aren't willing to do that. They want perfect. It's got to be perfect, outdoor, 100%. And that's fine too. But I think you're setting a lot of pressure up for yourself in these types of communities, especially developers, where you're going to have a service that works with code like There is always gonna be someone that emails you and is just like, your thing messed up on character seventy-nine of line seventeen that is not PSR seventy-five compliant. You're just like, Okay, thank you. Sorry. Here's your refund. My bad.
0: I really do like your uh that approach you did, right? Where you kind of like launch it very quickly and first to see what kind of interest you get. Um I feel like that's where I've really screwed up a lot in the past is I Spent too much time building the thing. for I checked, I wanted to buy
1: it. Yeah, and I think if you reach a level like some of the other people in the community, like Taylor, obviously, this this level of like hype. And I think you have to have an existing audience to do this. Which at the time I I, I you know definitely didn't. And I, I mean I would argue I still don't have that level of an audience. But when you can kind of build that buzz, that marketing buzz, things like Apple, you know, or really you know Nike, these these just great brands are able to do with a product, or even like. Even TV shows, you know, Game of Thrones or Stranger Things on Netflix or whatever. Like, there's just this buzz because they've created this audience for themselves. Um, if you have that, then really almost it's not luck anymore. It's it's all your audience and just being able to... I mean, you could, you could market anything, I think, at that point. You could sell anything at that point, to be honest. Um, you know, once you kind of have that kind of following that's just so interested in what you do, you've built, you know, what they call that social kind of currency right and you kind of have a lot of that in the bank you're kind of able to cash in on that almost whenever you want but yeah that's that takes a lot to get there i mean it takes a lot of these hacked out projects these mvp approaches like these really great market fits to to get that of course
2: so i mean how much how much time do you would you say you put in the shift on like a weekly average
1: lately it's been a lot um just because the new version came out and I'm trying to build out the subscription model. I mean, after shift is just turned three years old. So, you know, after three years, I finally built subscription, even though I had people asking about it, like after two months, you know, so it's just one of those things. I never kind of knew what that looked like and what that offering was. And I'm still figuring it out. Um, But yeah, I mean, to answer the question, I would say maybe out of like a 30 hour work week, I might spend, uh, let's say just, eight or 10, so a third of that time on shift. Um, Now, if I get things like human services and and whatnot, where like someone's asking me to kind of upgrade their app manually, then I'm going to spend whatever time that contract requires. So shift gets priority, I should say, but on a weekly basis, especially not like a new version of Laravel week, like, yeah, a third of my time, probably at most.
0: So your work on that, is that coding? Is that support? Like, how's that segmented?
1: It's probably um so of that 10 hours I would say an hour of it's probably you know marketing so that means like just daily some kind of daily tweet on Twitter something whether it's talking about a shift product or talking about some Laravel news or simply just retweeting something that's related to like the maintainability of your app that someone else in the community maybe tweeted and 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 would directly benefit shift users um so you know, every morning I'm doing that, regardless of if I'm going to work on shift that day or not. So that's a little bit of time. Um, support's probably another hour, maybe even two. Uh, and then the rest is coding. Normally, I'll, I'll, I'll block off a day for coding, like today, which is one of the reasons I got my little top knot here. I just like, I don't even think I've showered, to be honest. Like, I had an idea of a feature I wanted to work on today. So basically, after I kind of did the support and answered other emails, you know, personal emails and whatnot, and, and kind of watched the market open. Um, you know, around eleven, I started working on this feature and I I pretty much went all the way to five or six. And I'm even gonna do a little bit when I watch the basketball game here in a little bit. So the point is is that, that other remainder, I'll work on one feature a week, like something that's achievable in that time frame. An MVP version of it has to be achievable within that time frame. So if I'm a little less or a little over to get it done, I'll do it. But so today I worked on a um a fluent route converter. So like it's a little bit technical, but Laravel gives you a lot of different ways you can write your routes, and some of them are kind of this old-school array syntax way instead of lo- using, like, the f- chainable method, like, expressive method names. Um, so I built something in the fixer that'll, that'll automate, like, statically analyze your routes file and automate that cleanup. But, it, you know, it took about six or seven hours to write that,
0: so... so um, it, It's fine to get technical, programming-wise, right, on this podcast. can um, <laughs> you <okay>, Of course. <laughs> I wanted to clarify that because I know we, we kind of, before the podcast, started, let's not get too technical on trading. Um, so, with that, I, I found it really interesting the way you're, you're doing some of stuff with Shift, right? So, for those that don't know, Shift is a tool that will basically upgrade your Laravel. So, when you upgrade the Laravel version, which is a PHP framework, it'll upgrade your code for you, right? To match that um, and like makes a pull request for you so you can review and stuff. And it's really cool the way it does that um how do you go about testing though do you hit many issues where like you think you have it down and you check it every way but then somebody in the wild has some really wild implementation that surprises you or you know that seemed like it almost seemed interesting animal for me when i first heard about this but then i saw it in action i'm like wow he actually did it like that's incredibly impressive
1: yeah well i appreciate that i I, a lot of people you know still kind of say it's ambitious and it's fun to see people's reactions you know on twitter i really appreciate those people who like take a screenshot and they're like i cannot believe shift automated this like wow and like heart emoji eyes like makes my day so um you know it's one of those things it definitely is ambitious and i think without that mvp attitude i think i think you would have i would have been in a place where i was like man I, i can't get this right i'm not comfortable releasing this so i think that is again kind of the pre-requirement to its success, I'm okay that every now and then I'm going to get an email of someone that sends me a screenshot of their PR and it's, it's crap, you know, like I, I, well, not me, but shift, you know, messed up something, you know, it missed some syntax and just like totally replaced like this wrong thing. And honestly, that's one in a hundred at this point. Um, But it's just like any other kind of neural network, if you will, like it gets smarter kind of the more people that use it. And I'm always going in based on analytics, based on feedback and trying to determine what's the next feature. Is it a new feature? Or is it going back to like Laravel 5.5 shift and fixing 10 of these things that some people have reported? And so I'm I'm constantly making them better, um, you know, over time. And honestly, with each new version, I'll go back and look at definitely the version before it, but sometimes also like multiple versions before it, because I know the community that's going to create a a jump for those stragglers that were way back on five four now that five nines come out, there's just enough features for them to finally make the leap. so I want to make sure that flow for them is good. so
0: there's is a it lot kind of rule about like you know if it's one out of every one thousand, I don't worried worry about it. You just to refund, let's move on, and then if it's you know two people, then I start carrying or do you then it kind of like rules like that you follow um, yeah.
1: Normally, if it's one person and and honestly, also the tone at which they're coming back on me, if they're kind of real aggressive, it should have done this. I paid money for this. You suck. Like, I normally just say, I'm sorry, refund them. I'll I'll refund them, honestly, in every scenario, to be honest. But I'll definitely just refund them. And then I just don't think about it again, to be honest, because I just for seven bucks or whatever these shifts are, like, it's just not worth wasting. My emotion, expending my emotions on that. You know what I mean? Like, sure, it sucks. I, I wish it worked for them and they didn't have that experience, but the best I can do is a refund, honestly, at that point. So that's what I do. Um, I do pay attention. If it's multiple, I have like a, um, kind of a, a Apple note simply of just when people email me errors. And if it's something I can fix in like 15 or 20 minutes, like I know I can fix it. I know where that was. I knew maybe I MVP'd that a little bit. I'll go fix it right away. Um, But if it's kind of something where it's, man, you were kind of using some pretty alternative syntax there. Like it was legit and it worked, but I know based on analytics, not many people were doing stuff that way. And you're kind of the first person to say that on a Laravel 5.3 version, which is, you know, three years old now. Like I'll put it on the back burner. And then if enough people say something about that one, then I'll go do it. So those are kind of the metrics. If if someone's real aggressive and I'm not going to win them over anyways, then I'm not too worried about it in that moment. Uh, If it's a new version of Shift that I know maybe I shortcutted with my MVP approach, then I'll try to fix it right away. And if it's an older version of Laravel, then maybe I wait until there's kind of a critical mass of a couple people saying something, and then it's kind of like, well, is this going to take me eight hours to fix, or is this going to take an hour? And does this have bearing on a future version of Shift? Like, will this make all Shifts better if I if I were to fix this? And so those kind of help me create a decision tree on whether to do that or a new feature that's going to bring in more revenue.
0: Have you thought about doing shifts for other frameworks or PHP itself? I do have PHP shifts.
1: Um, They probably account for, honestly, they probably account for maybe 3% of the overall shift totals. And so because of that, I kind of don't pay a lot of attention to them. I mean, MVP tells me that I shouldn't, right? I mean, I put this out there I thought users would like it. I thought people would like it more than Laravel, right? PHP is a yeah, larger really community than Laravel, the
0: and I don't. PHP it goes
1: down. Honestly, my opinion is it goes down to um, paid. <laughs> PHP is still a very open source equals free type of community, and or well, PHP is free. I can do this myself. I don't value my time as a developer, and I'll end up spending ten hours instead of spending ten bucks. I don't agree with those kind of economics, but we do
0: like something targeted like WordPress or something like do better. Right. Especially with the new version bumps coming there to PHP.
1: I've definitely thought about it. I think my jump would be away from PHP at first before it would be more inside of PHP. So for example, um, I was thinking about, I've been looking in lately because I have a couple sites in my own itch to scratch. I've been looking in to a bootstrap to like tailwind
0: converter. Oh, that'd be um, cool. Yeah, I would actually try that out. Yeah. Just, just yeah, okay. to, like give me that push to actually try to win. Because it felt like there's just like barrier to entry to trying a new tool. Because mm-hmm. either I have to like try to port a site or I have to write a new site. And both of those are kind of a pain in the ass, right? So if that could like shift an existing site, it would be yeah. trying to me.
1: And there's some stuff out there that's free. But, I mean, obviously, shift goal would be of course to to take that to the next level like like legit analysis not just like oh i found this string class name and i made it this tailwind string class name like actually analyze the structure of your html and be like this is the tailwind way to do it yeah so i've also thought about rails uh or even javascript and again just because just because those communities i think potentially appreciate their time more for what they get like you know, HTML, email generators, my experience in
0: JavaScript, but it is my experience in Rails. <laughs> so,
1: well, I'm just saying it's, it's also probably a larger community um, of varying skill sets and therefore varying um, maybe opinions about, okay, well, I want to convert this and I'm willing to pay $9 for it. Like, I'm willing to take this old school PSD document and turn it into an email template for like one of those $25 converters, right? Like, I think people are used to spending money for certain things, especially conversion type things in those communities more so than in the PHP community at large.
0: Yeah, probably you could like target agencies somehow too, right? Because agencies are pretty quick to throw a little money in a problem.
1: Yeah, especially if it's like a no brainer, like I'll try this for 10 bucks, even if it doesn't work. But obviously, I would want shift to work because I stand by my product. <laughs>
0: That's interesting. Uh, so I, I kind of took us off track, but I think it was a good discussion. Cool. Yeah, it was, well, exactly. We looked out like, compounding, so let's...
1: Well, actually, kind of one, one quick thing, if you don't mind. You yeah. asked, and I, I don't think I got to it, and it was something I've been thinking about lately. You asked about the testing of um, Shift, and it's one of those things where some of it's pretty heavily unit tested, but some of that integration of like this got converted to this, like this, you know, block of a hundred lines of code got converted to this is honestly it's not, it's not tested almost at all. Um and because of that, I've been thinking about maybe doing something in one of these workshops, like in the future, of like testing, but also like specifically like kind of this more interesting problem, right? Because like you said, I do think it's an interesting problem. And that starts to push the boundaries of how to even set up the testing suite to have like these many, many different types of, you know, code structure inputs equals this kind of output. Um, that's beyond just kind of unit testing and mocking. Like you almost want to test the real thing at that point. So I, I think there's an opportunity there and I've been toying around with like kind of opening the kimono a little bit and being like, okay, um, I'm honest with you all. Like, I don't have tests for these things. Let's write some and here's what they look like.
0: So I wonder too, um, yeah, I don't know, your NDAs might be an issue, right? Or you might to. Have- choose certain apps but um it's michael and joe event dan i was talking to him one time a tactic they take for testing some of their client stuff is they'll actually like cache the inputs and outputs in real time um, so they can replay them later right so couldn't that be something you do like maybe you um rerun shifts from previous attempts that failed. you know
1: that's interesting yeah um There are logs that I keep for each shift and it's it's pretty anonymized data, so I wouldn't have like the actual code snippets anymore, but some of them do at least log like the structure that it came across. Like it'll say something like, This was using an options array and couldn't, you know, and so I have an idea of like kind of how it failed. But yeah, maybe there could be something where like you kind of like when you get an app and it's like, hey, are you willing to share your data? Know, yeah, right. Like
0: when you do a bug report or something, yeah, you you send that off and then yeah, add that for
1: that could be cool. Maybe I could maybe I could allow some developers to opt in, so maybe I'm mm-hmm. able to cache certain things and, and build that up over time. That would be cool.
2: Yeah, yeah. All that, I mean, I think that'd be interesting just because everyone, you know, there's still like that whole debate around is testing actually worth the effort. You know, even in 2019, it's still a. A conversation we seem to have constantly across the internet. So, I think that was interesting. I think it was really cool to talk. You know, I, we we like deep-dug on investing and then talked about investing into side projects too, which is a whole different but super relevant and super um, adjacent topic to what we were talking about tonight. So, I think I think this conversation was great. Um, is there if you're going to leave like one piece of advice for everyone uh, getting started with investing, either side projects or with their hard-earned money, what what would you what would you want them to take away from this?
1: Um, I think I think the biggest takeaway, honestly, is is probably more on what we touched upon towards the end. I think as developers, we have, and I think this goes for anybody, but like people don't um, value their time. I, I'm probably on the opposite end of the extreme of this. Like, time is like the only resource. Like, we will never ever have more of. You know what I mean? Like. So to me, like time is like super, super precious. Um, And it it makes me make these choices about things like whether it's a short term investment or like, how am I going to spend my time on shift today? Um, So it's one of those things where, you know, definitely value your time, like understand that. Sure, you can hack on something for, you know, 10 hours, but you want to try to make sure that you get something out of that, like get a return on investment, get a return on your time. That's what it's all about. Like. Just make sure you're getting some kind of return, whether that's a financial investment or a knowledge investment or a time investment, um, resource investment, whatever it is. Um, you know, think about the returns. Do do I want to spend ten hours upgrading this myself, or do I want to pay nine dollars? Totally up to you. I'm not trying to sell you on Shift. I'm just saying, totally up to you. You know, do I want to invest five thousand dollars in Bitcoin, or do I want to invest five thousand dollars in Apple? Like again, just. Think through it a little bit. Think through the returns. Um, value your time.
0: Ben, what advice would you leave for people? Um, I would go back to the compounding thing, right? So like, don't don't be too... Like your example just now, right? Bitcoin versus Apple. To a lot of people, if your time horizon is a couple of years, you're probably going to say Bitcoin because it seems like it has the best chance to make you a lot of money off of $5,000. But if your time horizon is 30 years, which one do you think really has a better chance to be around in 30? Um, so try to think a little longer term of what are your decisions. Um, and probably a lot of that is just because that was a mistake I made when I was younger, right? Yeah. Cool. Um, so Jason, this is totally up to you and you don't
2: have to answer right now, but uh, Ben and I were throwing around the idea of maybe like a, a six month uh, check-in, uh, kind of like an investment kind of thing. Maybe we can turn this into like a regular type of series where we, we kind of bring you back and talk about the things you might have done in the past six months, where we are, uh, what we learn and things like that. You know, if that's yeah, I think it
0: might be you. cool to bring on to like a listener that's maybe a little earlier in the process, and maybe talk yeah. about you know maybe if there's someone that happened to be helped by this and what they've learned and things like that. Yeah, really like cool. a live
1: coaching, that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm totally in. So yeah, if if there's any listeners out there or uh, you know you kind of enjoyed the, I know this was probably tangential to to coding, uh, as Ben said, but we did kind of try to bring it back there towards the end. So. Um, but yeah, definitely reach out to me. Let me know, um, you know, if you found this interesting, I'd, I'd love to talk about it more.
2: Cool. Uh, Jason, where can where can people find you um, on the internet?
1: I'm at gone dark on Twitter. That's my programming alias. If you're super, super solely interested somehow in the trading side of things, then I'm at trader JMac. So you can be some of my few followers there and listen to me talk about stocks.
0: Uh, so cool. before we get off why gone dark is there a background <laughs> oh god because I, I was like a
1: cool 90s kid i i it was like i guess when twitter was like just coming out in the tech community and people were like i was like super into watching 24 and uh jack bauer was like you know my hero and uh anytime he would go covert they would say he's gone dark they'd be like where's jack and he's like he's gone dark so I, I i like puns and irony so like I thought it was ironic that I'm on Twitter, you know, this public forum and I've gone dark. So <laughs> that was my cool, my cool little moment. And in, in that I did try to buy like Jason McCreary from someone that had the alias and was like posted one time. But I guess they're in like the entertainment industry and like just don't want to give up the um, their alias or something. I don't know. So I tried to change it, but then it's like now everybody knows gone dark. So whatever.
0: That's probably something I should like start asking people, Matt. I think that was, uh, that was pretty interesting.
2: Yeah. I, mean, I think it was a, a fun question to
0: kind of end on, too. Just kind of like a
2: random question. How did you cool. pick your name, Matt? Well, it's my name. Your Twitter name. <laughs> yeah. Matthew It's I picked it because even though I go by Matt, the three T's kind of trips people up. So I was like, I'll use my full name. And then I get weirded out when people call me Matthew, even though. Like I it upon myself, like Ed Finkler. I love him to death. And anytime I tweet him, he's like, "Thanks, Matthew." And I'm like, "You're not my
0: mom." Just, yeah, just... that's how I am. I Anybody mean, says Benjamin, I, I immediately think of my mom, especially if yeah. I use my middle name too. Then I'm like, "Oh shit, I'm in trouble." Yeah, sorry.
1: I think that's a guy. I think that's a guy. It's Like a male thing. Like I don't. I guess males and like your moms. I don't know. Like because I don't know. Like most of my like my girlfriend doesn't have that, but I, I'll get really irritated when like people use my name because it just it puts me on high alert. I'm like.
2: What, what did I do? What happened? What did I, yeah. What did I break this time?
1: Yeah. Thank so you. it's just like, don't, don't use my name. Just say, Hey, or something, you know, informal.
2: Hey, you.
1: She's like, I don't, what's your big deal? I'm like, I don't know. Just come on.
0: <laughs> ben, how'd you get your Twitter name? Uh, The same as you. It's just the name my, my mother gave me. <laughs> if I abbreviate it, I'll get freaked out. <laughs> that
1: works. I'm like the only one not using their name. I really wanted to I tried to remedy that. I even tried J Mac and it's like not it's not even like a legit Twitter handle. Like I don't even think you can be that short. Or Apple bottom all up or something because the I and the J Mac are right next to each other. I don't know.
2: No, well, maybe maybe one day they will they will push them out for you to buy. But Jason, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um hopefully we have you back on here soon to talk more
0: shift and more investments. Um definitely appreciate it. Um if anyone that- Did want to geek out more on the investment stuff maybe you're interested or you've uh lost a lot of money trying to trade like i have uh feel free to reach out like dm any of us i'm sure we'll be happy to chat about it more yeah yeah Yeah.
1: lost money anonymous
0: yep quick go buy that domain (laughs) cool all right thanks everyone appreciate
2: it see you next time